really cool to be back here at Grace. Um, it's really cool to see so many familiar faces. Um, Corey asked me to preach on missions today, and I think if even if I didn't bring a message, if we just took what we just did and sang about the glory of Christ and his creation, um, I think that would be enough motivation to go out into the world and reach them with the gospel, to bring them in to a place like this. I mean, it was really a treasure to be here with you guys today. Um, so Corey asked me to come and uh, preach on missions today, but he has told me, he's been giving me updates, um, that Grace has been doing really well, and I can tell uh, there's a lot of new, new faces here, um, so it's really a blessing to kind of see everyone. And um, So speaking of unfamiliar faces, if you're new here, I am Taylor Neese, so uh, Anna and I, my wife Anna, and our little baby, uh, new baby Uriah, um, we are here, and uh, we're here visiting from, we work on the Texas, uh, southern Texas, northern Mexico region. And so um, currently we're in training with Two Every Tribe um, with hopes to go international in about a year and a half to two years. Um, we're currently learning how to cross cultural barriers um, so that we can effectively take the gospel to the nations when we go. Um, so yeah, we have our little boy. Uh, just a quick update. So we thank everyone so much for your labor for us in prayer. Uh, we believe that it was the prayer of the saints that really made everything go as smoothly as it was today. So uh, that's enough about us. <laughs> um, it's, uh, I really want to get into the text today, and um, hopefully it will encourage you guys and spur you on to reach your neighbors with the gospel and reach the world um, with the gospel. And so um, before we get into it today, uh, let's pray. Father God, we thank you um, for the opportunity um, to be able to read your word, Lord. We thank you to live in a country where we can openly read and proclaim your word, Lord. And I pray that as we go through this text today, Lord, that you would um, use your spirit to enlighten um, people's hearts and that people would be emboldened and burdened to reach the lost with the gospel, Lord. And we ask all these things in Christ's holy name. Amen. So today, I would like to show us God's mission for the people of God to do his will on this earth, right? It is our mission as people of God to take the gospel of God to the nations. And so Paul states in his letter in Romans, we'll be in Romans 1, verses 1 through 8, he says in his letter in Romans, he calls it the gospel of God, and we are the ones God has chosen to take this gospel into the world, and we're the ones that we need to take the gospel to our neighbors and to the ends of the earth. And I'd like to show we, as a people of God, why we should be mission-minded in our everyday life. I would also like to talk briefly, um, since I've been down at Tiri Tribe, I've been learning about different fields and different places, and so I'm going to share one quick story about some areas in the world that are extremely persecuted right now as we speak, and their mindset on what their mindset is to be missionally-minded, and how they are missionally-minded even with the threat of death, even with getting their houses burned down. So, um, so yeah, so today we'll be in Romans chapter 1. Uh, last week you guys ended in Acts 28, and uh, Corey contacted me, and he said, hey, I want you to preach on missions. And I thought about it, prayed it over, and I was like, I'm going to do Romans 1. He goes, we're ending in Acts the week before. So that's pretty neat. Um, so if you have that marked in your Bible, it's just one page over. Um, Romans chapter 1, verses 1 through 8. And so this is what Paul says. Paul a servant of Christ Jesus, called to be an apostle, set apart for the gospel of God, 
which he promised beforehand through his prophets in the Holy Scriptures concerning his son, who was descended from David according to to the flesh and was declared to be the Son of God in power according to the Spirit of holiness by his resurrection from the dead, Jesus Christ our Lord, through whom we have received grace and apostleship to bring about the obedience of faith for the sake of his name among all the nations, including you who are called to belong to Jesus Christ, to all those in Rome who are loved by God and called to be saints, grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. First, I thank my God through Jesus Christ for all of you because your faith is being proclaimed in all the world. So, I want to talk today about what Paul says in his systematic explanation of the gospel. Ultimately, that's what the letter written to the church in Rome is. It's Paul's systematic explanation of what he believes the gospel is. And so, um, I think it's easy for us as Christians to read a passage like this, to get to the beginning of Paul's letter, where he says, Paul, a servant of Christ Jesus, called to be an apostle, set apart for the gospel of God. It's easy for us to hear things like that and kind of brush it off as kind of like an introduction. And we don't really hear what Paul is saying. Sometimes being in a church like this, a really solid, biblically-based church, where you're reading through books of the Bible together as a church, um, I think it's easy for us. We hear powerful sermons and good teaching that I believe if we aren't constantly checking our hearts and constantly trying to see what the Lord is bringing to your pastors who are bringing really good teaching, that we can actually lose hold of the truths that we cling so tightly to. In a church like this, you're getting fed truly every single time you come in here. The shepherds of this flock do a really great job. The ministers of the music do a really wonderful job. I mean, it was ministering to my heart even as we were just singing together as a congregation. So sometimes I think we can look at the beginning of a passage like this, and the first words at the beginning of Paul's letter here can simply be an introduction So sometimes you'll have even people who come into a congregation like this, they're visiting from other churches, and they're talking to you, and they go, wow, (laughs) like, this is truly a church of God. This is truly a church that is worshiping God. And you're kind of like, huh, you know, I really wish that I felt the same way that they did. Because maybe they were going to a church that didn't feed the sheep as well as a church like this does. And so they're finally getting fed, they're like, wow. So... I mean, you can be honest with yourself if sometimes you're singing together as a congregation or you're reading through God's word as a congregation and you leave here unaffected. You can be honest. I can be honest. It happens. It becomes routine for us coming here on Sunday morning. And so we hear and read things like it's all about the gospel or preach the gospel or love God, love neighbor. And we let these words just kind of roll off without considering what they really mean. And so, I want to ask you guys, what does it really mean? What is the gospel, and why is the gospel actually good news? Why do we as believers risk life and limb for the rebel heart to hear the good news of God? And why do we sit through persecution or loss of friends and family over this good news? Why would we do that? Why would some of us, even in this very congregation, risk their jobs and their livelihoods for the sake of this truth? Why? Why would we do that? So I think if we're not careful, we can lose, lose hold of that why. The, so we need, to, we need to understand 
that our God, the creator of everything, the one who holds you in his hand right now, who gave you the last breath that you just breathed, who can number the hairs on your head, that God says that he has good news for this world. That God says he has good news. And when he says he has good news, believe me, it is good news. So, Paul says here in Romans chapter 1, Paul, a servant of Christ Jesus, called to be an apostle, set apart for the gospel of God. He can say this with the understanding that God has good news for the world. To truly understand this, though, we do need to understand that there is, of course, bad news. There is bad news. So he sets this up in the first seven verses. Paul says he's a servant of Christ Jesus. That's how he introduces himself to the church in Rome. He says, I'm Paul, and I'm a servant of the Messiah Jesus. And he goes on from there to say that he's called to be an apostle. He's called to be a messenger. The word apostle simply means messenger. He's called to be a messenger for the kingdom of God. He's bringing a message from the great king, the good shepherd, and he is bringing good news from God. That's what he says. He's bringing good news, and he's been called out by God to bring this news to the Gentiles. So he, set, he says he's set apart for the gospel of God. If you didn't know this, the word gospel simply means good news. Good news. So you read the gospel of Matthew, the gospel of the kingdom, the gospel of God. It means the good news according to Matthew. The good news of the kingdom. Paul says here the good news of God. And so he says all that. So Paul starts in his letter to Romans and he has bad news first. So Paul says he's set apart for the good news of God, and he goes, and here's the bad news. He says, we have bad news first. So Paul starts his letter in church in Rome, and he gives the universal condition of man. He tells them that we are all actually rebelling against God, that we all have rebelled against God, and that all men actually know God, yet they suppress the truth about God in their own unrighteousness, in their own sin. They know God, yet they suppress the truth about him. The problem Paul is saying is that we all actually know God. It's not that God hasn't given us enough evidence for him. It's not that God hasn't given us enough light. Paul says that we all actually know him, and the problem actually is, is that we hate him. We all hate God. So even with all the evidence of creation constantly screaming at us in ways that we cannot avoid, Paul says that we don't, it's that we don't want to know him and that we're hostile to God. And that's the truth about fallen people in this world. That's what the scriptures say about fallen people in this world. We're actually haters of God. We actually hate God, and we switch him for idols. And we know that's true. If you're in this room, and you're washed by the blood of the Lamb, you know that at one point you were a hater of God. You know you were. And so whether that, however that played out in your life, right? Some people, they abuse alcohol. Some people turn to drugs. Some people turn to pornography. Some people try to gather up as many material possessions as they can, trying to fill this hole. And they've actually taken those things and they've put it on the throne seat that belongs to Jesus Christ in their heart. So, your hatred for God showed itself in your love for the things of this world more than your love for God. And so... Paul says here in Romans chapter 1 that God ultimately gives us up to our sin. 
He gives us over to our sin to do even, Paul says, what is unnatural. And he says that this is because we have chosen to worship some aspect of God's creation over the creator himself. And that we've become futile in our thinking. Paul says that we are filled with all manner of unrighteousness, evil, covetousness, malice, full of envy, murder, strife, deceit, maliciousness, gossips, murderers, slanderers, haters of God, insolent, haughty, boastful, inventors of evil, disobedient to parents, foolish, faithless, heartless, ruthless, though they know God's righteous decree that those who practice such things deserve to die. They not only do them but give approval to those who practice them. And so that's ultimately where I want to land in the bad news, is that when we look through the first three chapters of Romans, it should be like looking in a mirror. God sa- or Paul says in Romans chapter 3 that the Jews who had the law of God, so we, as the people of God, have the law of God. He says, they look at the world and he says, oh, The Jews say you shouldn't steal, but yet they steal. He says that the Jews say you shouldn't commit adultery, yet they commit adultery. And that's us. That's our hearts. And sometimes we can look to the scriptures and we can use them to look at the world and say, oh, look at what they do. When really, when we're looking at the scriptures, we should see our own hypocrisy and our own hatred for God. And God says that the law was given not so that we could become righteous by it, not so that we could look at other people and say, oh, well, they steal, but but I don't. I'm living up to the law of God. God actually says that the law was given to expose our sin. The law was given to reveal our sin to us, and it reveals our need for a Savior. Paul says in Romans chapter 3, I think this is really interesting, he says the law was actually given to shut the mouths of the whole world. Paul says that, oh yeah, that law that you have, yeah, that you think you can live righteously to, he says that's actually given to shut you up. That's what it's given for, to shut you up. He says right here in Romans chapter 3, now we know that whatever the law says, it speaks to those who are under the law, so that every mouth may be stopped and the whole world may be accountable to God. For by the works of the law, no human being will be justified in his sight, since through the law comes the knowledge of sin. So he's literally saying here that the law was given to reveal our sin and to shut our mouths. And that's true for us as well. And I think as we read through the first three chapters of this letter, it should reveal our own hypocrisy to us. So, I think, ultimately, when you read through these first three chapters, Paul says that those who practice such things deserve to die, and that's where I want to land. Because we say things like, oh, the wages of sin is death. Jesus took what we deserve. But do we actually believe, do we actually believe that with all of our sin before God, that we actually deserve to die? Do we believe that in our own hearts? Or do we lie to ourselves and say, yeah, yeah, I get it. Like that sin was, was bad, you know. But I don't think I deserve to die. I don't think I deserve to die. Maybe you were even raised in church, right? And your life looks pretty clean, right? You didn't necessarily get into all the drugs and alcohol that a lot of people get into and then come to know the Lord through that. 
But Paul says that we deserve to die for our sins, not because of how wicked the sin was, but because of who we've committed it against. We've committed against a holy God who is perfect and righteous, and he has said that his requirement for sin is death. So the truth is that if you can hear my voice right now, God has said that he has revealed himself so clearly that you deserve to die for your sins. And you might be saying, Taylor, this is not good news. (laughs) This is really not good news. And you're right. That is not good news. That is not good news. But Paul says that he's bringing the good news of God. And so he says that this is good news because God has sent his son, Jesus Christ, to die the death that we actually deserve. It's It's not a fake death up in your imagination somewhere. You actually deserve to die, and yet Jesus took that death. Though Jesus didn't know sin, he lived a perfect life, and he died as if he was the murderer, or as if he was the slanderer, or if as he was the one who was staying up all night watching pornography. Jesus was the one who died on the cross as if he was doing drugs or drinking and getting drunk every single night. Jesus died for your sin, and he died the death that you deserve. But he died the death that you deserve so that those who put their trust in him have passed from death to life. The Bible is full of talking about our new life in Christ, but unless we understand our death in sin, our life in Christ will have no meaning. The scriptures say The wages of sin is death, but the free gift of God is eternal life in Jesus Christ our Lord. And that is the beauty of the good news of God. And what can we do to receive this good news from God, this gift from God? By having faith in Jesus Christ. The one who died a death that you deserve and that I deserve. And now you live because of his perfect work. You live because of his perfect work. And it's not only, it's a twofold gift from God. It's not only the removing of your sin. God doesn't just take away your sin, but it's a twofold gift from God. One is the washing away of your filthiness before God, and the other is a positive crediting of righteousness, of Jesus' own righteousness into your account who could never be righteous before God. You could never be righteous before God. You have now received Jesus' righteousness and are now heirs to the promise that is found in him. So when God looks at you, he not only doesn't see your sin, but when he looks at you, he sees the perfect work of Jesus Christ. That is good news. God, when he looks at you and sees perfect work, he's pleased. He's pleased with you because of what Jesus has done. And that's why, if you're sitting here today, washed by the blood of Jesus, you know that it is a blessing and a joy to give your entire life for the service of Jesus Christ. You know it is a beautiful thing to be considered a slave 
of the great King Jesus. You know why it's worth your entire life, your friends, your family, your house, your job, why it's even worth letting your physical life on this earth go if it comes to that, if it means it's in the service of Jesus. And that is how Paul, at the very beginning of his letter in Romans, says that he is a messenger for the good news of God. It is truly good news. So, to continue on, Paul goes on in verse 2. I don't want to stay here, but he goes on in verse 2. He says, set apart for the gospel of God, which he promised beforehand through his prophets in the Holy Scriptures. This is very brief, but this is something Paul is saying that God made promises about in the Old Testament and is ultimately what the entire Old Testament is about. We see that in passages like Isaiah 53, Psalm 22, Genesis 3. This was not plan B for God. This was always the plan. And we even see that Jesus, on the road to Emmaus, rebukes his disciples for being slow of heart to believe all that the prophets had said about him. The entire Old Testament is about Jesus Christ. He goes on in verse 3, concerning his son who was descended from David according to the flesh and was declared to be the son of God in power according to the spirit of holiness by his resurrection from the dead. This is God's testimony of this Messiah Jesus. If you were to doubt that Jesus is the true Messiah, if you doubt that Jesus is the true Messiah, his resurrection puts the stamp on it that God approved of his work and that death could not hold him. And this is the beauty of Jesus' resurrection His resurrection proves that death also does not have a hold on you. That's what Jesus' resurrection has for you as well. So, he continues in verse 5. Through whom we have received grace and apostleship to bring about the obedience of faith for the sake of his name among all the nations. I want to say that again. Through whom we have received grace and apostleship to bring about the obedience of faith for the sake of his name among all the nations. I need to ask, does that sound familiar to you? Paul says he wants to bring about obedience of faith among all the nations. Paul, at the very beginning of this letter, starts by saying that. Obedience of faith for all the nations. I want you to hear what he says also at the very end of this letter. So he starts it, and the very last thing he says is this in chapter 16. He says, now to him who is able to strengthen you, this is a doxology, he's just praising the Lord. Now to him who is able to strengthen you according to my gospel and the preaching of Jesus Christ, according to the revelation of the mystery that was kept secret for long ages, but has now been disclosed and through the prophetic writings has been made known to all nations, according to the command of the eternal God to bring about the obedience of faith. To the only wise God be glory forevermore through Jesus Christ. Amen. So this is the message that Paul is starting his letter with and ending his letter with. He says that he wants to bring obedience of faith among the nations, the world. And this is exactly the commission that Jesus gives his own disciples in Matthew 28. And I want you to see that. So will you turn with me to Matthew 28, keep a finger in Romans And turn with me to Matthew 28. We all know this passage. If you don't, that's okay. You're going to learn it today. Um, This is a very famous passage. Jesus has been raised from the dead. And he gives his disciples to take the gospel to the ends of the earth. And this is what he says, starting in verse 18. He says, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Go therefore, or... 
as you are going, make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to what? Obey all that I have commanded you. So Paul and Jesus have the same mission for the world. Paul in Romans says that for Jesus' name, the church has received grace and apostleship to bring about obedience to all the nations. The very same message that Jesus in Matthew 28 commissions his disciples with. And I think we miss this a lot of times. I think sometimes people come to know the Lord, and we need to start our younger people out in the faith by teaching them a simple understanding of the gospel and how our lives are affected by it. We are called to disciple the nations and teach them to obey. They don't, new believers don't need to know everything that you know when they're new. <laughs> now, those things aren't bad. Those things aren't bad to know. It's good that we have, we, we're in a church here where people study diligently so that they can disciple younger believers. But he does not need to know everything that you know. We could know everything there is to know and totally miss the teaching as Christ, as Lord in our lives. And those things that you believe are important but will come as people grow in the Lord. But we allow the Spirit to lead them into those things through the Word as we dig into the lives of these younger believers. I think sometimes we want our younger people in the faith that, are, that we're ministering to to understand these deep, deep, rich theological truths, and they're not ready. <laughs> they're not ready for those. And it's a great thing to want them to know that. It's a really great thing, but somebody who just came to know the Lord doesn't need to have a formed opinion on the lapsarian view of God's sovereignty before the fall. He doesn't. He doesn't need to know. <laughs> He just needs to know how he can obey Christ day by day. He may be dealing with sins that you haven't dealt with in 20 years. And he needs help. He needs milk. He needs you to spur him along. And so we need to touch, teach them to love Christ more and more. And yes, teaching doctrine, beautiful truths will be a part of that because we must love God with our heart, soul, mind, and strength. But we must not forget to allow to, for, to teach people how to follow Christ with our lives. We shouldn't be imbalanced in what we teach people, and we must be patient with them when they mess up, when they fall back into sin, just like your heavenly Father is patient with you when you sin against him every single day. So, this guy would be embarrassed if I mentioned him, so I'm not going to say his name. But before I left, I had a man discipling me here. And um, we were reading through some pretty heavy books, <laughs> some really heavy books. Um, and I was enjoying it, but Ann and I, we were support raising, and um, Uriah was still in Anna's womb, and things were tough. <laughs> it was hard. It was a hard time. And so one day I show up, and I hadn't really read the chapter, but I was like, okay, I'm going to see if I can like, kind of get through this. And he just looks at me, he goes, hey, why don't we just forget the book for now? <laughs> <laughs> why don't we just not read that? You know, he's like, I just kind of want to get together with you, pray with you, ask you how your life's going, ask you how you're preparing to be a dad, um, how you're doing treating Anna, being a husband. And it was one of the best lessons I've ever gotten. Because I thought discipleship was getting together with somebody and going, hey, I read this R.C. Sproul book a couple weeks ago. 
I'd love if you would read it too. Maybe we can read it together, <laughs> you know? And so I was like, like that, was, that was what I thought discipleship was. But we are called to bring about obedience of faith, and that's God's mission. So this is also a beautiful thing. Those who are not as theologically minded who are in here, whoever they may be, the pressure is off for you. All you have to do is teach them to love God and love their neighbor. Just teach them to love God and love their neighbor, right? And God, through his spirit, will work in their lives. So, Paul goes on. He says that he wants to bring about obedience of faith among all the nations. The entire world. All nations. Paul has a mission for this gospel and the global impact of it. This obedience belongs to all the nations. And we see in the scriptures that people of every tribe, tongue, and nation will be around the throne worshiping Christ. And this is the mission of God. He is saving people all across this earth with the good news that is found in Jesus Christ. And it's our duty to advance his kingdom on this earth until he returns. And it's our duty to advance his kingdom by the proclamation of the gospel The pressure is off. Jesus says that he will build his church and the gates of hell will not prevail against it. Have you ever read that passage? I think sometimes we read that passage and we think, okay, so we're in the church. There's gates around the church, right? And hell is not going to prevail against our gates. That's not what the passage says. Actually, the passage says that Christ will build his church and the gates of hell will not prevail against it. Paul, or he says in that, that Christ will build his church. It's an offensive statement. The gates of hell cannot withhold the building of Christ's church. That's what Jesus says. Christ will be pushing back the gates of hell so much they will not be able to prevail against the church's offensive movement in the preaching of the gospel. So do you believe that when Christ says that he will build his church, and are you obeying him when he says to take the gospel to all the nations? We do not need to just sit around waiting for the return of Christ. It's our duty to do his will on this earth until he returns. We don't want to be people who buried the grace of God in the sand. And then when he comes back, find that we have done nothing with it. So, you go to a church here where there's a lot of opportunity to reach the nations with the gospel. Right? We've got missionaries with FCA. Ryan was here last week. He's a missionary with FCA. We've got missionaries with Two Every Tribe. We've got missionaries in Peru. We've got missionaries in New York City, if you even want to be domestic. There's plenty of opportunity through this church to reach the gospel with the nations. We don't need to let these things go idly by. And if you need to try and see how that's going to work out in your life, Pastor Corey, who's the missions pastor, is a perfect person to talk to to see how you can be a a beacon of hope for the world and the gospel going to all the nations. But we don't need to let these things go idly by. We need to obey Christ in this area. The world needs faithful Christians that will give all that they have to reach the world with the gospel. And it starts with a church just like Grace Fellowship, with faithful believers giving their lives for the gospel. So, in verse 6, Paul continues on, including you who are called to belong to Jesus Christ, to all those in Rome who are loved by God and called to be saints, grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. That, so I did want to stop here 
because I think this can be fuel for us to take the gospel to the nations. This is a beautiful, beautiful section of the verse. To all those in Rome who are loved by God and called to be saints. The reason I chose this passage was to talk about missions and the world with the gospel, but I want to stop here for a moment because this could help in our confidence in trying to reach our neighbor. So at the beginning of this, I went into detail about our fallenness before God, our rebellion against him, and our hatred against him. But because of the work of Jesus Christ, this is what Paul says to those who are called to belong to him, to the church in Rome. He says, to all those in Rome who are loved by God and called to be saints. If you're sitting in this room today and you're called to be God's saints, let me tell you, you are loved by God. You are loved by God. If God has called you to be his saint, you are loved by him even when you can't get your kids under control. You're loved by him in the midst of your marital strife. You're loved by him when you're watching pornography. You're loved by him when you're talking to your neighbor about the gospel. You're loved by God in every aspect of your life because you are called to be his saint. You're loved by God because of the work of Jesus. You have passed from death to life, and you are loved by God. When you stand before God dressed in the righteous robes of Jesus Christ, God will look on you with a smile as he welcomes you into your eternal home. So, knowing this, knowing this, do we not want our neighbors also to be loved by God? Our neighbors people who live next door to us? Do we want them also to be loved by God? You did not work up your own love for God, and therefore he loves you in return. No, God loves you, and he saved you from the world, and he's doing the same thing for those around you. So take the gospel to them. You are literally, when you speak the gospel to them, you are speaking the love of God. And if he redeems them, they will be able to worship him for all of eternity side by side with you. And God is using you to do that. So, I want to land this plane and kind of what I want to ask you is, you might be asking yourself, okay, what do I do with all this? If these truths grip my heart, how will my life look? So, this is really cool. In verse 8, Paul says this, First, I thank my God through Jesus Christ for all of you, because your faith is proclaimed in all the world. Paul actually says that the faith of this first century band of believers is being proclaimed throughout the whole world. This letter was likely written sometime between 54 and 56 AD, only 20 years after the ascension of Jesus. And yet Paul has full confidence to tell them that their faith is being proclaimed in all the world. So this is where I would ask the question to you. Could the same thing be said about Grace Fellowship? Could someone who's writing to Grace Fellowship say, your faith is being proclaimed throughout the whole world? Could that be a charge made against you? Have you made it your greatest mission in this life to reach your friends, neighbors, children, family, co-workers, the nations with the gospel? And if not, the call today, you leave these doors, is to make that your number one mission in life. 
Let your love for God overflow to those around you and preach the gospel. There are many of our brothers and sisters in areas of the world, their state has been occupied by another country, the biggest land grab in the last century. And they've had their churches burned down. They've been pushed out of their homes because these people have come in, burned their churches down, pushed them out of their homes. They were forced to flee. And so they were going to wait it out. They were going to say, this won't last that long. There's a lot of protests going on. We'll eventually get the land back. We'll go back home. We'll continue building churches, planting churches. Well, it's still going on. The conflict is still going on today. There's a war going on where they used to live. And so they got together with a group of people. We have communication with them at Every Tribe. And so they're saying, hey, um, it's time to stop waiting. We've been waiting for a few years. We've been living about four hours away, and we need to go back. And so these people are going to plant churches underground, under the radar, risking life and limb. Many of them are going thinking they will never come back. They're going over the border thinking they will never come back, and all for the sake of Jesus' name and a love for their neighbor. So, that is their mission. And their faith now, as I proclaim it in Anniston, Alabama, is being proclaimed in all the world. <laughs> Praise the Lord for that. So I want to end right here in Acts chapter 5, this amazing passage. <laughs> it's an amazing passage. The apostles were arrested for taking the name of Jesus throughout all of Jerusalem. And the an angel of the Lord sets them free. Many of these apostles were thrown into jail, flogged, scorns. Most of them went to their death proclaiming Jesus Christ. So after they have been locked up, an angel of the Lord sets them free, and they go back into the streets. And this is what the council that they were brought to said. We strictly charged you not to teach in this name, yet here you have filled Jerusalem with this teaching. Isn't that amazing? People who are against the gospel have said, you have filled Jerusalem with this teaching. So my question to you would be, have you filled Aniston with this teaching? Could people in the streets, when you go, oh yeah, I go to Grace Fellowship, go, whoa, you go to Grace? They have filled Aniston with this teaching. Would you be able to be charged with the same charge that the apostles were in Acts? And that would be my challenge to you today. Could this church make these two passages, Romans 1 and Acts chapter 5, their reputation, your reputation? Could that be your reputation for the church? People from far off, can they write to you saying, your faith is being proclaimed in all the world? The faith of grace fellowship is being proclaimed throughout the whole world. And could people near to you say, wow, y'all have filled this city this county, even this state with the teaching of Jesus Christ. So, I want to ask you, are you willing to give up your life for the preaching of this gospel? Are you willing to sacrifice everything you know it for your neighbor that doesn't know Jesus as his Lord? So my challenge to us today would be to separate ourselves from our own comforts from our own desires 
and it would be to go across the globe with the gospel for the love of Jesus and the love of your neighbor. There's no greater work to be had than this. And it is our joy that we are able to be participants in God's work through us to the world. So pray that he will give you strength and courage for the journey. Let's go into the world and proclaim his grace until he comes. Let's pray. Father God, we thank you um, for this time. Lord, I pray that you would bless this message, that would use it to encourage the saints to go out and reach those who don't know you. Lord, you are redeeming your creation, and I pray that as you do that, you would use us as vessels of your mercy to reach the nations. I ask all these things in Christ's holy name. Amen.